Tonight's message was birthed weeks ago just through, again, through observation of our country, of our society, uh, of young people that work with and around, and then also young people that we can possibly be in this church or other churches. Uh, and so tonight's message is not about young people in general and only. However, it also applies to us because at one point in time, we were young people. Uh, there's uh, this fact of life, and that is that we will grow old, and uh, the years will come upon us as long as we live on this earth as long as we stay alive. Um, and so, I've titled the message, What Happened to, From Generation to Generation. So, what happened to, from generation to generation? And in putting that together, uh, I, I was thinking about the family reunion thing. Like, who, when they're young, likes family reunions? Okay, when you're a little child, you might like family reunions because you're playing, you're going about your business, and it's kind of like a, a big party. But as you grow a little older, it's kind of like, what? I don't know those people. I don't want to go there. And then even as you get a little older, because maybe you didn't go to those family reunions, that, uh, that is still in you. Get it. And actually, probably, family reunions are probably a thing of the past. They just don't happen like they used to. And the way that I could probably get a census on that is by saying, how many of you go to family reunions? Raise your hand. And, and see... It's not a majority in here. Okay? It's not. But when I was young, uh, we had family reunions. And I want to put this into play. When I was 10 years old, when I was 10 years old, that's the very first time that I could actually remember going to a family reunion. And it would have been uh, in the... Nelsonville area, actually, it's called like Union Furnace is the name of the area, and that's where my mother was from, and we would always go to, it was just called Grandma Brown's house, that's where we would go, and when we would go to Grandma Brown's house, it was pretty cool because once you drove back in the lane, and then you go over this little bridge, and then you get to a point, they always had a, they had a, a pump that you would actually just start pumping, and then water would come out. And of course, over in another area, there was this little shed there. Now, you didn't use that little shed anymore because they had remodeled the house, okay? But prior to that, that little shed was used, and that was that outhouse. I was 10 years old when I first actually can remember the family reunions. Because prior to that, you just went and, you know, you just did things. But I can still remember, and, and actually there is a picture, and it's, like, myself, and then it's my brother Denny, my brother Danny, my brother Randy, and then my sister Penny. And we're all in a line. And we were at my Grandma Brown's house. Now, that really, even though I'd say Grandma Brown, that was my great-grandma. I was 10 years old. She was 93 years old at the time. So if she was 93 years old and I was 10 years old, that was in 1969. So that's saying that she was born in 1876. So if we then said, okay, because that was my great-grandma. So then if I was sharing generation to generation and I would talk to Chase, that would be, his great-great-grandma. And then now, if Chase would want to go ahead 
and share the heritage and the generation and all the things that took place and went on, he would say to Annabelle, Annabelle that that was your great, great, great grandma. And see, we can't even really get a hold of that. Because see, then, before Grandma Brown, there was a mother that was the mother to Grandma Brown. And Grandma Brown had a grandma. Try wrapping your head around that. Now, in Scripture, and that's, okay, it's not the only place anymore because now ancestry is really big. It's kind of like a hobby, amen? That's what people do, and it's a hobby. But prior to that, it wasn't really like that. When we want, when we found an ancestry log, we would read it in Scripture, correct? And it would go on and on and on and on, and it would be the lineage, okay? So I only did that just to, to give you a general idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about from generation to generation to generation to generation. And there's little things, little tidbits that um, we throw out every now and then. And, and what I'll do is, because we now can just like Google it and look it up, and Teresa always says, look, it's on the internet, that's not true, right? And, and we know that's not true, but one of the things that has always been a thing is, and, and I have some sayings, and only um, my siblings could appreciate those sayings, along with maybe my children, because maybe they were said to them. For instance, my father used to tell me that if I would wear a hat, like if I had a hat and I was getting ready to walk into a public building, take that hat off, boy, I'll knock you in the next week. Knock you in the next week. What does that mean? I'm sure that's not politically correct today, okay? I knew what that meant. That meant, keep the hat off. Okay? That's what that meant. That's what that meant. But I was never told why I needed to take the hat off. This is why, and I didn't ask why, because I said so, right? <laughs> it was because I said so. But see, then I had that raising my children. They didn't wear a hat walking into a building. But why? What's the reason behind it? For them, it was, like my dad said so, Okay. Now the point I'm making here is there's a lot of things that we do and that we say that we have no, where did that come from? Why is that? Why do we do that? And see, now, when I went, okay, when I started teaching 14 years ago, don't be walking in and have my classroom. Okay, and it was the rule in school. You weren't allowed. And Chase can vouch for me. When they, when they took that out of the handbook and they started letting kids wear hats, it become more chaotic. Correct, Chase? Yes, become more chaotic. When I was um, a, a baseball coach with my children growing up, and the big thing was, you know, to tilt the hats or to flip them around backwards, Lenny's hair design, because I, I sponsored the team, they didn't wear their hats that way. They didn't have their shirts out. They had their shirts in, and they had their hats on a certain way. That was the truth. Okay? And if you were to play Lenny's hair design, and we, we used to win all the time. Now, there are other teams, the hats were here, the hats were back here, shirts were out. There was just this thing. And I kind of want to parallel it with, like, Pastor will say something about James. James, come and pray for our country. Now, James just kind of, I mean, the other thing my father would say, pick up your feet, boy. Okay, so you, you're not... 
this is the way they walk in school. And of course, now it's right. I mean, and I'm not trying to be a comedian right now, but Jane, I like to say, James, really? They didn't lie you back like that in service? You don't look like that, okay? You don't look like that? No, um, you know, my brother made fun of me earlier today when I was ushering, I was standing back there, and I was like this. He wasn't making fun of me, he just said something. He didn't mean it like that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to change my posture instead of like, you know, something like that. Okay. The, the point and where I'm going with all this is there's the, all these things that we do or don't do because it was passed down from generation to generation. It was passed down from generation to generation. So, I'm going to read this scripture. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently lest thou forget the things that thine eyes have seen, and lest thou depart from my heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Now, we're going to start talking about the Word of God. We're going to talk about the ways of Christ, the ways of Christianity. I'm going to read this to you. The penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men worse than themselves. Later. Do we have to be living in that? I would say that's a true fact, correct? And you hear it all the time. Well, I'm going to write myself in. Or I'm not going to vote. Or, I'm not voting this year. Look what we get to choose from. Many second-generation Christians fall into the trap of taking their parents' faith for granted. Throughout the book of Judges, the Israelites suffered greatly from the problems of second-generation apathy. Second-generation apathy. So, what when I was sharing with you about Great Grandma Brown, and then it took you all the way back to 1876, imagine the lineage in Scripture. Imagine the generation from generation to generation. Imagine Moses and now Joshua, and from Joshua it goes on. And we just keep continuing on from generation to generation. And what was supposed to happen was, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. All the way to where we are now. To where we are now. When pastor preaches a message or he brings up something that's taking place now, a lot of times Tracy and I will look at each other and we'll say, remember when we were at... Hopewell. No, before Hopewell. After Hopewell. Before Zanesville. Licking you. Right? Yeah, Licking you. When we were Licking you, Brian was gone. That's when Brian was gone. We were constantly praying for Brian. Pastor would bring up when he would talk about um, the, the, the EC. ECU, right? The European. They would talk about that stuff. And we're just like, what, what, what? And then what's happened is it all starts playing out. And and so, again, it, it goes back to, to what, when I think about, like, I'm not going to spit some of these names out, but I think about some of these people who sat in the pews. We, Teresa and I, had their children in youth ministry. Give them the word of God. Over and over and over. But yet at the same time, maybe they decided to go another direction. 
Or maybe they stayed, but their children didn't. And now you look at their children, or you look at them, and we could call it shipwreck, or where they are today. So I want to read this story, and it's a little bit about apathy. Um, and, and what happens is I, I come across this story, and, and I want to read it. It says, when Rosine, because this is really crazy that would happen to someone twice, a crazy situation like this. Uh, when Rosina was in college, she once attended a rock concert at which one young man was brutally beaten by another. No one made an attempt to stop the beating. The next day, she was struck dumb to learn that the youth had died as a result of the pounding. Yet neither she nor anyone else had raised a hand to help them. She could never forget the incident or her responsibility as an inactive bystander. Now, it's even worse today than it was back then because if I'm not mistaken, this story, I believe it took place um, some 30-some 30, 30 years ago. So people definitely, not, no, not, now they don't just bystand. You know what they do? video. And then they put it online. And they're playing. They're laughing. You hear them laughing about it in the background. You see it on TV if you happen to watch like Fox News or you see somebody totally just being just pummeled to death. And the kids standing back going, oh, they're laughing. That's how far this country is. So it says, some years later, Rosina saw another catastrophe. A car driving in the rain ahead of her suddenly skidded and plunged into the bay. The car landed head down in the water with only the tail end showing. In a moment, a woman appeared on the surface. In a moment, a woman appeared on the surface, shouting for help and saying, "My husband! My husband! He's stuck inside." This time, Rosina waited for no one. She plunged in the water tried unsuccessfully to open the car door, then pounded on the back window as other bystanders stood on the causeway and watched. First she screamed at them, begging for help. Then, it says, she cursed at them, telling them there was a man dying in this car. I need your help. Please help. First one man, then another, finally came to help. Together, they broke the safety glass and dragged the man out. They were just in time. A few minutes later, it would have been all over. The woman thanked Rosina for saving her husband, and Rosina was elated, writing an emotional high that lasted for weeks. She promised herself that she would never again fail to do anything she could to save a human life. She had made good on her promise. One thing about apathy is you never have to exert yourself to show that you're sincere about it. Never. And it res normally results in a terrible place. Normally results in a terrible place. So, do I know if Rosina's a Christian? I don't know that. I come across that story. What I do know is apathy had set in prior to. And because of the ugly situation, Rosina, see, she sees things completely differently now. And she vowed to herself that she would never let something like that happen again. Judges 2, 10, and 11. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord or what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baal. Now, so put this in perspective. Uh, my great-grandma Brown, if I would explain to you what my great-grandma Brown looked like at 93, um, she wore those, and I forget what they called those. They looked like nightgowns, but those big, fluffy little dresses. House coat, yeah. That's, but that was really like her dress. That's what she wore every day, okay? And um, 
And then, of course, the shoes that she would have on, she had a cane, okay, because she, she couldn't walk real well. But she had a cane, and she always had on, like, I'm going to call them stockings, okay? <laughs> They're like nude color stockings, is what they were. And Grandma um, Brown had really, 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 really long, long, thick hair. And it was very salt and pepper. And it was always braided, and it was braided in one long pigtail. And there was no Grandpa Brown. I don't know. I, I just never ever saw Grandpa. It was always Grandma Brown. And when you're 10 years old, you know, you're not thinking, okay, well, where's Grandpa Brown? Just not. Well, Years later, years later, I come. I was at my uncle's because, see, I was 17 then, and I knew everything. My father knew nothing, so I'm like, I'm out of here. So I went to stay with my uncle, okay? um, in which I later found out my dad knew everything. But at 17, he didn't know anything, and I was going through some pictures. Now, again, because, see, of your lineage, because of generation to generation, these pictures had been what? Passed down. And it was passed down to my uncle. And I'm like, who is this? And it was someone that was young. Okay? It was a young Grandma Brown. With Grandpa Brown. And Grandma Brown didn't have one, but she had two. Now, if anyone's seen my mother prior to her passing away, my mom's cheekbones were really, really ugly. Okay? So some of you might know where I'm going with it. And standing beside Grandma Brown was this dude in like a suit with a top hat on it and a feather in it. And guess what? He had two pigtails hanging out. <laughs> So, guess what they were? Yes, they were. And this picture, I'm like, it's kind of like when you watch, for you older people, a western or something, and they go, you know, and the picture, that's kind of what that picture looked like. Oh! So, it's when I found out, oh my gosh, they, they, East in Ohio, so when I say Indian, okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So again, it was passed down from Jim. But I know nothing about my heritage. I know nothing about my lineage. I saw pictures. I saw pictures. I mean, actually, to this day, when I visualize and remember seeing that picture, it's almost like the picture that, or a, a statue that you would see of an Indian guy standing there, like outside the store or something, and just like standing. And it was a real picture. It was my great-grandpa Brown. Okay? So, as I read Judges, and it says, neither the Lord or uh, they, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord or what he had done for Israel. It's it's like me. I grew up not knowing. I grew up not knowing. So let's let's do this. Let's look at some of the problems and the solutions for second generation indifferences to the precious faith of parents. parents. Now think about this. We're talking second generation. Just think about when it goes third generation, fourth generation, fifth generation. Maybe some of you have done this before, where you've been at a family reunion. And you're talking away, and then somebody says something about, well, yeah, you remember, and I'm just going to use Lois. Lois, Lois was, she, she loved the Lord. She was saved. What? You mean, yeah, but, and then what you're doing is you're going, yeah, but all the others, oh my. You mean she she's in heaven? So then you go, no wonder. 
I might be saved. She was praying for generation to generation to generation. Amen? See, we can't wrap our heads around that. We don't get it. Because we live in the here and the now. Why are we not crying out for our generations of the future? This should be a wake-up call to understand that what we're living in right now doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't. Yes, there is an expected end. There is an end. And, and God has laid that plan out. But at the same time, there are children to pray for, and their children, and their children, and their children. The seed can go on and on and on and on. And our country doesn't have to be in the situation that it's in right now. Number one, all parents have a responsibility to teach their children to love and to fear the Lord. To love and to fear the Lord. When your children go back and do a Sunday school room or go back for junior church, they are given the word of God. They are given a powerful tool. It is something that is going to be inside of them and with them. It is going to make an unbelievable impression upon their lives and upon their heart. And you never know what is going on in that little head. And what is taking place? You know what? Years may go on, and you might see them as a teenager and know that they're living this way and that way and contrary to what they were taught in junior church. But one day, one day, that little light bulb will go off, and they'll remember a passage, or they'll remember a song, or they'll remember being up here and singing and bellowing out as long. And then all of a sudden, whatever's going on in their life, they're going to get on their knees and they're going to cry out. God because it was him. And we know that if pastor said it today, that, that you know they're trying to take the word from us. But if you hide it in your heart, if it's here, it can't be taken from you. Amen. But I want to go on to say failure to nurture children in a faith is a recipe for community disaster. It goes beyond community. It's a recipe for a national disaster. Think about it. Scripture. Look what's happened to our country. Look what has happened to our nation. I'm going to have to say this without uh, did something the other day. to where some of the people were being worshipped. And when I went in, I was kind of surprised because, you know, I thought that they would all be there, and they weren't, which was fine. Okay, but I said, okay, this is da-da-da-da, and this is I want you to take this card. And there were some things written in the card. And the guy was like, sir, sir, I said, no, what happened? He goes, oh my gosh. I felt Tears started coming down my eyes, and I'm like, but I just wanted to say something about thank you for serving our country. Thank you for, and then, and then I just had to get out of there, okay? I just had to get out of there. But I think about the decay of our country, the decay of our community, the decay of our schools. Guess what? The decay of our churches. And it, it just totally, totally brings you to uh, tears if you have any heart whatsoever for the Lord and for this country. And for many of us, we get our love for this country from the love of God that's inside of us. Because I know that once I was saved, the love that I have for this country is so much more than what it was before. I love the country. I was patriotic. I was a Boy Scout. I knew certain things. I knew how to stand. You know, when you're in school now, 
I mean, for me, it is so hard when we stand for the Pledge of Allegiance because of the disorder, the disrespect, the not give a darn attitude. And you know what? I want to say this. I do want to say this. The majority of them don't know. It's not their fault. Because it hasn't been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And that is a national thing. That is a uh, patriotic thing. And as Pastor preached one time when he was preaching from the pulpit, they take he asked Luke, did, did you learn about this? Did you learn about that? Did you learn about it? No. It's not in there. Failure to nurture children in the faith is a recipe for community and national disaster. It's a disaster for the individual, for the child itself. You are called by God to raise that child in the admonition of the Lord. The Israelites fell short of fulfilling their responsibilities to involve the children in serving God. Somehow, the parents believe that their examples were enough. Just watch me. You know, the problem with that is they just might be watching you. And if you were, uh, if you are a junior church leader or you are a Sunday school teacher or you teach youth, sometimes they tell what they see, what their example is. And it sometimes isn't the greatest. Now, sometimes... They're doing what they do when they're little, just saying things. But you have to understand the importance. Parents, and you know what? If parents aren't doing it, grandparents, you need to step in there and do it. Is there a way to do that? Yes. Because many times, I'd like to just still be the father of the 20-some-year-old or 30-some-year-old and know that it can't and doesn't work out. But there are ways to go about that. There are ways. Jameson said the other night, Grandpa, are we going to pray like we always do before we go to bed? Yes, ma'am. Sure enough, we went and that's what we did. And that's what we did. So there are ways to just impart that. Number two, the children of great men and women of faith only knew the Lord specific, or superficially, but not in a deep, deep personal way as their parents, as their parents. Without an intimate knowledge and relationship with the Lord, all people are apt to go astray. Okay? We're apt to go astray without, without that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're apt to go astray. Many of our children growing up as we brought them up and taught them the things of God, made sure that they were here, made sure that they were in church, made sure that they were going to this thing and that thing, even when they didn't want to go. And, and I have to say, fortunately for us, you know, not a, there was not a lot of times when our children didn't want to. Okay? They, they didn't feel that. They didn't really feel like they were being drugged in church. They enjoyed it. But, but in that, it is so important that once they've been brought, that guess what? They have to have their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not going to do it on your relationship. They're not. They're not going to do it on your relationship. We aren't going to get them to heaven. We aren't. But bigger than that, we are not going to get them to salvation just by speaking, just by saying, well, they're saved. They love the Lord. Every individual must learn to cultivate their own personal relationship with the Lord through personal worshiping, consecrating, and obeying the Lord with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, and all their mind. Luke 10, 27, it talks about loving the Lord thy God with all thy soul, all thy strength, and all thy mind. 
That's how we love God. And, and what happens is, until they love in that manner, they're still apt to go astray. Guess what? We're apt to go astray. We're apt to go astray. Number three, the children of great Christian parents are often neglected because the parents are so busy doing the will of God that they tend to neglect their family responsibilities. It's important to serve God. It's important. Our God. It's important to be in ministry. But it, it's not so important that you forget the very first thing I said, that you have a responsibility to teach the children to love and fear the Lord. You have a responsibility out. Ministry over here is important, but it can't be so important that you lose your children because of it. And that does happen. It is uh, easy to be so thrilled with the ministry outside the home that one overlooks the importance of serving the Lord inside the home. And, you know, the scripture talks about keeping your house in order. Okay? So your house needs to be in order before you're out here working on other houses. This house is a house that needs to be set in order. Number four. The children of committed Christian parents often learn just enough about Christianity to put on a front of religiosity. Never forget going to uh, Fire the Fire and having uh, Ron Moose share a story of a young man who went on a mission trip. And, and on that mission trip, this young boy kept, he was wagging his foot. And, you know, Ron Luce really was a no-nonsense kind of guy, okay? He really was. And he finally went up to him and asked what was going on. And the young man said that um, in praying, uh, he was slain in the spirit, and that his leg was still sleeping. If anyone remembers that, it's even in a book that he wrote. Okay, what happens is sometimes children will look. You'll look at it. Little Olivia will even raise her hand now. You can see it in here. Okay, and that is that is cute. And no, we don't want to stop that. Okay, but what happens is as they grow older, there comes that time also when what's happening is the world's pulling one way. God is pulling another. The world one way, God another. The enemy one way, God another. And what happens is sometimes what they do is it's one of those things where I'm just going to fake it till I make it one way or the other. And they, they do that. Jesus warned people of honoring God with one's lips, and their hearts are far from him. Amen? And... We, as grown-ups, can do the same thing. We can do the exact same thing. And if you remember earlier, the pastor preaching the message, church, he was crying out, we are what people are seeing. We are what people are needing. But it needs to be a real. It needs to be the real deal, the real thing. But it must be first for our children and our family, and then to give to the to the masses, amen? Then give to the masses. Number five, the children of godly parents often only know the Lord intellectually, historically, and culturally, but not in a deep spiritual sense. It's not enough to know the Lord with head knowledge. God wants our hearts. And again, when I go back to our teens, when we're raising our teenagers, um, and I can't I, I can say it was hard raising our teenagers. I can't even imagine that part, raising teenagers. And just a real quick example is like Jameson staying with us, okay? I mean, he has, first of all, he does have his own Apple phone that doesn't have service, but it has Wi-Fi, okay? And he just goes all over the place, and he has his own pad, which is his. It's a, it's a fire. It's a Kindle fire. 
And, and so then he starts telling us about McDonald's. Never eat at McDonald's. And he's just going on and he's telling us, again, if it's on here, it must be true. And it all happened in Ohio. Okay? And he's just like, and he's telling us everything. So I thought, eh. You know, I had, I had some downtime, so I hit that button. And I'm like, let me see these ten things. And I hit it. And the very number one thing, I'm not even going to I'm not even going to talk about what was found in something, but I'm going, oh my gosh, he forgot to tell me about number one. He told me about all the others, but he forgot about number one. But I don't think he knows what number one is, which is a good thing. But what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm paralyzed. I can't even imagine. He's going to be nine. A few years he'll be like here in week. Thirteen. Going to be a teenager, and what they're dealing with. But our God is still a big God, and our God will still protect, and our God will still direct. Amen. He will. But again, there's something that we have to do through that. Second generation Christians are often connected to the Lord only through tradition, rather than through a personal abiding relationship that's cultivated from a hungry for God's love and God's power. For God's love and God's power. And you know, when we talk about God's power, again, it's not the power to speak before thousands. It's the power to make it. It's the power to move on. It's the power to pick yourself up when you don't have, you just don't feel like going on. Many times I think about when I'll look, I think about someone else, I think about their situation, I think about their life. And then I go, it's only by the grace of God. The grace of God. But that's the power of God. Number six. The children of mature Christian parents easily fall into a routine of attending church out of a sense of obligation rather than from a pure heart. Guess what? When I'm saying this, do you understand that some of us, not, not me, because I, what was it? Born and raised in a Christian home. Right? But some of you and some of us sitting in here tonight, that, that can apply to us. We do it out of obligation. I better go to I need to get there. Not because of a hunger of love for God and God's word. And what and, and expectation. How about expectation? How many of you come here tonight expecting God to move? Some of you come here tonight going, you know, I know Pastor's not preaching. I wonder who it is tonight. I wonder who's up. What's on the rotation? We're messed up. We should be thinking, what is going on? I'm coming expecting. I have a need. My child has a need. My children have a need. My grandchild has a need. Amen? But no. I mean, there is, again, when I think about teaching, and when I go into that school in the fall, and I think about the young people that I see that are so medicated that they can't even keep their stinking head up, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And I'm going to say that I'm venturing that at least one of those boys, when he goes to school, they'll want to diagnose him, okay? And they'll want to say, well, you know, maybe we should go ahead and slow him down a bit. And, and yet, I've said this before. Yeah, well, I was a career. They have medicated me back then, okay? They would have medicated me, and who knows where I'd be. Because I was a curtain climber. I couldn't sit still in school. I would get up and move. I was always looking out the window. I was always daydreaming. I wasn't always with it. So, again, it's about a personal abiding relationship that's cultivated. Cultivated. 
It's made from a hungry heart for God's love and God's power. Amen? Jesus warned the Pharisees about this. Uh, the children of a trick Christian parents easily fall into the kingdom of any spiritual exercise of obligation. Jesus warned the Pharisees about this. Check this. Mentally, when he said in Luke 16, 15, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Listen, you're talking, you're looking at somebody who went to church before I was saved to be esteemed by men. I wanted to be seen. The reason I would sign a uh, no, not a membership, but when you're putting together a uh, fund for something, you're going to pledge. The reason I sign pledge? I want you to see my name. I was that ignorant. Okay? I really was. It was about, I was a saved. I went to the Catholic Church. I wanted to be, I, you know what? It was going to help my business. That's why. That, that, is, that is being honest. Even when I did the shows that I used to do, even the things that I would say, because I have said it tomorrow, give me the topic. Before I would say, give me the topic of church or whatever you want, and I'll get up and I'll preach it. But see, I didn't know about the anointing of God. I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know about the uh, the dynamo's power that Pastor was preaching about this morning. Yeah, yeah, I probably could get up and I could talk and do this and that. But it's when you're you lay out a message and then God just brings things to your mind that he wants you to say. But again, going back to what it says here, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. What I was doing was detestable in the sight of God. Scripture's real clear about not letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing. So it says if you, if you go out and you tell everybody, guess what? You just got your reward. You just got your reward. Number seven, many Christians, many Christian youth feel that church has become irrelevant for their generation. It's become irrelevant for their generation. You're wrong. Bottom line is you're wrong. And you know, unfortunately, when you get to find out, it's probably when your back is up against the wall, or for some hopefully unforeseen reason, you're pinned between a car. You're on the verge of death. And you're crying out to God for his mercy and his grace and his power to deliver you from what's taking place in your life. Unfortunately, we get to that situation, regardless of whether we're a youth or not. That's what happens to us. Just as a grown man, raising my family, doing my thing. Being in society, being in the business world, not knowing about salvation, but then knowing about salvation, but then what? I don't want it. Even though I could see a difference in those around me, even though I could see a difference in motherhood, even though I could see a difference as a wife, even though I could see a difference as a brother-in-law, as a sister-in-law, of the way that your children were being raised, I still had my hand up and say, don't want it. It's irrelevant for me. You have your way, and I have mine. Let me pray for you. I can pray for myself. I need to pray for you. It's not irrelevant. And you know, unfortunately, the young people today, and you step outside of those that have been raised in church, the young people today, they have no clue what church is about. And I've said that before because I'm an educator. And guess what? What's happening is the twisted, politically correct agenda is warping the mind of young people to the point 
that there's going to be more of them than there is more of us if we don't stand up and proclaim what is right, what is true, and what is the word of God. Amen? It is a time that we need to take back what is God's. We need to take back what God has given us. If you are in the schools and you see what I see, they think nothing of homosexuality. Nothing. It's the way that it is. And if they right now, the girls or the children that I'm teaching right now are juniors and seniors, and this has been going on for three or four years, I guarantee you the seniors or juniors that's coming in this year that were sophomores have an even more... Um, Clearer picture of what they believe. Clearer picture of what they believe. We're the ones that's messed up. We're bigots. And see, it's not about hatred. And when we start talking about the race thing, I mean, from the time that I was a young person, from the time that I was a young, 10 years old again, that's when I started noticing the difference because when I was 10 years old, okay, and that was just 1969, I grew up at Bucket Lake in a park. I'm telling you, blacks were not allowed to swim in the pool. The same pool that I would go to on Monday, they were allowed to come on a Saturday and Sunday because, are you ready for this? It was a certain name day or a weekend. What? I mean, I thought that was messed up when I was 10 years old. And But I remember, are you ready for that? I remember going to the pool on Monday and going, getting in the water and going, like I was going to catch something. And where was that coming from? The society. It was coming from the society. So, when we're talking now about the homosexuality, we're talking about the crazy things that, that we hear that is politically, that's not politically correct. This may be a sad commentary, okay, uh, to the unwillingness of godly Christian leaders to allow young people to exercise their own style of preaching services. What I want to say to you is this. From the time that Teresa and I were youth leaders, and we would minister to the youth, pastors always, always gave ample time to the youth to minister. From the time we would go to and acquire the fire and then come back and there would be testimony. Uh, from the time that young people would get up and he would even let young people deliver the word of God. As long as he knew what was going to be said or the, the preaching of the word, he would let them. And, and now, I, I, I really believe that where we are in ministry as far as our, our worship ministry and our band ministry possibly could have been there a while ago, okay? But what happens is sometimes we they're youth. They're young. Pastor said many, many years ago to me, when he would give me uh, free reign to do something, he would, first thing he tells you when you're in ministry is get ready because there is a bullseye, bullseye on your back. That's the first thing he tells you. And then what happens is when you make a mistake, you're going, but he comes back with the scripture and he says, where the crib is clean, there's no oxen. There's no crap in there, but there's no power in there, no ox, because that's what they used to do their fields with. That's how they cultivated their food. That's how they plowed the ground. Yeah, the ox are going to make a mess, but guess what? Over here, you have power. You have things happening. If the crib is clean, there's nothing going on. He says, I'd rather you make a mistake. It may be a little dirty. We'll clean it up. But at least something's happening. Amen? Those of you that's in ministry know that. You've been there. 
fertility of the youth will often result in a second generation of backsliding. But youth, but young people, and when I say youth, I'm not just, you're youth to me, some of you, because of the age factor. Look, if, it, if it's being passed, if the baton's being passed, man, grab it and run with it. Run with it like there's no stopping you. We're already like, what's, what is going to happen to the fair 20 years from now? What is going to happen? You know, I'd like to say, you know what? I'm still going, I'm going to pick things up still. You can take me up. Okay? But, but see, what happens is, you know how we got that church trailer? Because there were no youth involved. No young blood. Young blood, you need to step up to the plate. You need to understand that there is a calling upon your life. It goes beyond music ministry. It goes beyond teaching ministry. It goes beyond an ushering ministry. There's a lot of work to be done in this church. Many of us will go on. We'll go to where we need to go, which is heaven. But what is going to happen to New Hope? What's going to happen to this church? Are we going to leave a legacy? Are we going to go from generation to generation to generation? The future seed. Are we going to go? Uh, let's see. Push the button. Let's, who was that? Who was that guy? What was his name? Lenny? He was what? He was out? What is this? You know, probably they just go, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, look, Nick, I was sitting in Jason's the other day. He has all these albums. I'm looking at those things thinking, oh my gosh. Dust collector. Right? Second generation Christians. Often. Second generation Christians often fail to acknowledge God as the one who is all blessing. All blessing. They have learned to take their blessings for granted. We're good. Just respect it. And you know, when you like when you get to a certain age also, you Then I, I remember just, uh, it was just a few weeks ago, kind of like you, you think you're cruising, and all of a sudden, it's like, you need to turn the air on. I'm hot. No air. Oh, you, your mind take up. Oh, it's called on. Hold on. It's going to be quick fix. something in the washing room. No rinse. No rinse. Water's in there. Just come home. Wash it. Wash it. Wash it when air conditioning when we change, change, change.
think, in my mind, the young people out there that want to not take their hat off and you know, just be like this, I want to like, those men died so that you could act the way you're acting right now. That's the way you think about it. But they don't know. They have no clue of that. Number nine, second-generation Christians often grow lukewarm in their attitudes toward God, the church, and their Christian responsibility. Somehow they have never assumed responsibility for their own maturity. Now, we know that there's scripture that backs it, backs it up. There are Christians running all over the place, still sucking a bottle. You know what? The pastor doesn't have a pulpit. What he really actually has is diaper bags everywhere. And in the diaper bags, he has diapers and wipes to clean up the mess that his sheep are making because they're still sucking milk. And it's a choice that they make. And you're supposed to desire the sincere meat of the word. Shame on you if you've been calling yourself Christian for all these years and you can't quote scripture. You can't use scripture. And yes, you can be someone who quotes scripture and not have the love of God in your heart. But I think you know what I'm saying here. And number 10, the last one. Second generation Christians fall into complacency, not because of outright hatred for the church. It's because of their lack of commitment. Jesus Christ, and then to the church, and then the commission of Jesus Christ. We are called to commit to Christ. That cross, an unbelievable price was paid. Pastor talks about most churches, they don't, they don't have a cross like this. They had a pretty cross. And most churches today, a lot of the churches, they don't even have a pretty cross anymore. They don't want you to know about the cross. The word God says that we're supposed to take up the cross. Take up the cross. Many, many years ago, I played a part in a play. And I remember Mike carrying that cross. And at one point in time, I'm in that play, and I have to push that cross, and just him reaching for me. And it was all make-believe and all fake. It was a play. But I think about the price that was paid. And then we fall into complacency because of a lack of commitment to Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that our commitment is right to We need to make sure that we are committed Jesus Christ. Once we're committed to Jesus Christ, it's going to make being committed to your church. Listen, young people. Young people hate the word commitment. A lot of young people don't even know what that word means. Okay? But when you're committed to Jesus Christ, the commitment to the church will just come. It's just there. You want to do it. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. And then from there, the commission of Jesus. To be able to speak about Jesus Christ. To not be worried about speaking about Jesus Christ. To speak it freely. I don't care less if I talk about Jesus in my school, in my class. It was just toward the end of the year I went home and I told Teresa, on Monday, I may not have a job. I have no idea. Because again, I'll tell you that so many of those girls were just bawling their eyes out because I gave them their testimony. I told them about the old me and what I was like and what I would do and how I could care less. And I didn't give a rip. But then I told them about the new me and the change that took place in my life and why. And, you know, again, it's going to go back to what I said earlier, one of those uh, points. You know, they may live an ungodly life. They may be unbelievably uh, so far from God heading straight to hell. But one day they remember. I remember that Mr. Rosser, what he said. 
I remember him saying that he was like that. And one day he gave his life to the Lord and Jesus, Jesus Christ took all of that away, changed him, cleaned him up, put him in his right mind. And now I give thanks, honor, and glory for everything. Even though there's times that I that I back those words up by saying the Lord this morning, like the shape of sauces to me. How did I do? Was it was it me? Teresa just told me the other day. Sometimes I can be rude. I'm serious. I can be rude. When I speak, I told her that. Again, I could blame it on my dad. I could say, well, my dad talks like that. No excuse, okay? Um, so my tonal value. So inside, I want my tonal value to change. I want always, um, I I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, it was actually Tracy's father-in-law who brought up Jeff Williams and Kevin McCare, and he said, so we know we even thought that maybe someday Kurt and Linda would be able to go on a vacation with us, and then all the grandparents would be there. I thought that would be pretty cool. We were just kind of talking about it. And Jeff said, yeah, Kurt, he's uh, always an uplifting guy. You see, that's been on my mind about my tonal value. Because I can take someone just like that with, and the word God talks about the power of the tongue, right? I can just like that just totally annihilate situation with Teresa and I, the situation with my staff, the situation with my associate, uh, situation with my, my client. Okay? So she said to me, you need help. You need help. I said, well, you know you can't do that. Yeah. She was, you, can't, you can't do it. So I'm like, no, Dad, I can't. But God in me can, right? He can but you have to want it, okay? I have to want it. I have to desire it. So as we close tonight and the music's being played, I want you to think about your commitment to Jesus Christ. Think about the commitment to Jesus that you have made to him, that you're going to make to him, that you want to renew to him so that then, not only that, then the church, when I say the church, this church, then we know that you're going to be committed to this church. You know, we didn't have a membership forever. We were forced to have a membership. But if you came here, you were a member. And I, I can go on and on. When people leave here, it's like, to go where? Where did God tell you to go? And you know what? All, and you, yeah, but you have no idea what was said to me. You know what? You have no idea. What was said to me over the years and what I did to other people over the years. And the way that maybe someone didn't talk to me one day or someone did talk to me one day. And guess what? I'm still here. God didn't call me out. I'm going to tell you something. If God called you here, he will call you out. You don't have to just get up and leave. You don't have to think, should I go? You're going to know. You're going to know, and if you don't, then you're playing church. You're not committed to Christ. Sorry, you're not, because if you're committed to Christ, you'll be committed to this church, and then you'll be committed to the commission of Jesus Christ. Amen? As the music plays, please, I want you to go ahead, take the time to see where you're at.